We're going to continue in our series, not, not quite done with this series yet, The Choice to Rejoice. I believe this is part nine. Let's look at Philippians 4.4 4, uh, briefly. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And we've covered a number of facets of this. And you know, when, you're, when we're uh, listening and uh, participating in a service like this, it, it is spiritual food. This is spiritual food right now. This is a spiritual meal. And you know, um, I don't know if you ever had a meal where you just didn't get enough of, of each thing. You might have got a little bit of this, but then you had to move on to the next thing and didn't get enough. You just wanted more, but you, you know, had to move on to the next thing. Well, sometimes, sometimes we just need, you know, spiritually to just get something more than once because that's how you really are able to, you know, get nourished. And it's not that we're just, we're not ministering just to our mind. We're ministering to our heart. And uh, we're building things into our spirit. And so sometimes we need, and even naturally, you know, how did you learn how to multiply? Probably with tables that you just did over and over. And then you learned them. And those things today you probably still know. You know, maybe some other stuff you didn't go over quite as much. Like, you know, I know I would cram for like geography tests. I could show you where, the, where this or that was, but then sometimes I just... Didn't know it that much later, but I'll tell you what, multiplication and things like that, where you did it a long time, it wasn't just one time, you did it all the time, sticks with you. Well, uh, you know, spiritual things are a lot like natural things in that way. You know, sometimes we just need to soak, and we get stuff built in, and we come back a different time, and we have a little bit different perspective, so it gets built in. So then when you, when you go away, you actually keep something. It's not just head knowledge, it's gotten down into our heart. And we've covered a number of facets of this. You know, it says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know, rejoicing is God's will for us all the time, no matter what's going on. 1 Peter 1, verse 6, another scripture that we've read kind of as a basis, our text. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing... You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 8, whom, not, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So even though we don't see the Lord Jesus, with our physical eyes, that's referring to. Yet believing, you believe something, we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. What we focus on is so important. Here, it's, you can't focus with your eyes on Jesus, but it said you don't see him, yet believing something, you still rejoice, so your focus is still on him. Let's look at... Uh, 
Matthew 16, verse 21. Matthew 16, verse 21. It says, From that time Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So he's talking to his disciples that he's going to, they didn't fully understand everything, but that he's going to go into Jerusalem and he's going to be suffering. And he's going to be killed, raised the third day. Now they didn't understand everything, but he's sharing with them and they got it to some degree. Because you can see in verse 22, it says, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. How would you like Jesus to say that to you? <laughs> of course, he's speaking past Peter. But you know, it's in Peter's direction. The words came out of Peter's mouth. Jesus is dealing with, what, with what's behind what Peter's saying. But still, <laughs> if you're in the room and Jesus is saying that in your general direction, <laughs> I don't know that that would be a good thing. Uh, he said, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. And you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So Jesus has been telling his disciples, this is going to get rough. This is what's going to happen. So it's coming from Jesus. The master, the teacher is telling his disciples, this is what's going to happen. In verse 22, Peter took him aside. So look at the picture. Jesus just told him what's going to happen. This is the master. He takes Jesus aside. So look at Jesus, i got to talk to you. <laughs> you know this isn't going to go well, right, from that. They're starting out like that. And he, said, he, he takes him aside, and it says he began to rebuke him. That means to correct him. Well, something's not right here already. Peter thinks he needs to correct Jesus. And he, it says, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. So Jesus said, this is going to happen to me. And Peter said, this is not going to happen to you. Far be it for this to happen to you. So he's correcting Jesus, said, this, this isn't going to happen. Look at uh, verse 22 in the Amplified Classic. Read this in a few translations. You see what Peter's really saying here. It says, then Peter took him aside to speak to him privately and began to reprove and charge him sharply saying, God forbid, Lord, this must never happen to you. Now think about what he's saying. He's correcting Jesus, telling him the thing that Jesus came to earth for is not going to happen. Well, where would that come from? Matthew 16, 22 in the, the CEV, same verse in the CEV, says, Peter took Jesus aside and told him to stop talking like that. He said, God would never let this happen to you, Lord. Jesus said it. Uh, in the Geneva Bible, verse 22, it said, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Master, pity thyself, this shall not be unto thee. Pity thyself. This is, he's saying, Jesus, think about yourself. Take care of yourself. This, 
this should this is not going to happen to you. In other words, you don't want something like this to happen to you. Wake up. And he's correcting Jesus. This is what he's saying. Think about yourself. This isn't going to happen. We don't, we don't want this to happen to you, as implied. He's not saying that, but he's bringing Jesus aside. Said, no, and God would never let this happen, and God forbid this would ever happen. Jesus just told him it would happen. So what is Peter is saying something that's opposed to the Word of God? Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. He never made a mistake. He never said anything that needed to be corrected, and Peter is coming saying, this needs to be corrected. So he is coming and telling him something that is wrong. Now, verse 23, if we look at it in the New King James again, so the next verse then, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now that is very, very strong. He didn't just lightly come against him. He strongly rebuked him. Why would he strongly rebuke him like that? Because of the content of what he was saying. Jesus came to earth to die, to be buried, to, to be resurrected for us. That is his purpose, and he's getting ready to do it, and he is telling the disciples this is what's going to happen, and Peter is coming saying, no, think about yourself, and that's not going to happen. God wouldn't let it happen. He is contradicting the direct will of God. So he comes, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but, of, but the things of men. So Jesus is saying, you, and Peter is lumped up. I mean, Satan is the one that is inspiring him, but it's coming through Peter. And he's rebuking Peter. He's pointing to Satan, but he's rebuking Peter. Say, you're not mindful of the things of God. In other words, you're not focusing on the right thing right now. You're focusing on the things of men. You're focusing on the natural. What you're saying is not focused on the right thing. In the Amplified, verse 23 says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of men. Notice it says, you're a stumbling block to me. In other words, this could trip Jesus up if he let it. Why? I mean, he is sharply telling Peter, don't, don't you say that. He's getting to Satan says, get behind me. Why? Because he's about to go to the cross. This is what he was born to do. You think his flesh wanted to do it? He is going to be separated from his father. This is God's will for him. You know, in the, in the garden, Jesus was, was sweating drops of blood, and he said, if there's any other way to do this, let's do it that way. He, he did not want to do it with his own will. He was recoiling from that, but he was... He said, not my will, but yours be done. Well, Satan is coming and pushing him right now through Peter, trying to get him to focus on the wrong thing. Trying to get him to look at the wrong thing. Said, you are a stumbling block. That's what an offense means. The trap is something that you stumble over. He's trying to get, uh, Satan is coming against Jesus, trying to get him to focus on the wrong thing. 
in the God's Word translation, same verses, but Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get out of my way, Satan. You are tempting me to sin. Well, if he would have rejected the will of God, what is that? If he would have said, I'm not doing it, he is not doing the will of Father. Jesus never sinned. But the Bible said he was tempted in all points as we are. He was tempted to. Otherwise, what does it matter if you didn't sin, if you never had the ability or temptation to sin? He was tempted. You think, well, I'm just pushed. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was being pushed. He says, you are tempting me to sin. You aren't thinking the way God thinks, but the way humans think. See, what we focus on, Jesus right now rebuked and pushed back the temptation to focus on the wrong thing. He was on a path doing God's will. And it wasn't easy at this point. And there was a push, a temptation to get him off of God's will. And he did not focus on that. He said, you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. He didn't put his mind on those things. He, he kept it on what God was saying. Our attitude, not, not digressing, when we talk about joy, it has everything to do with what we focus on. Our attitude will follow our focus. Our feelings will follow our focus. Feelings are bad leaders. They're good followers. If you focus on the right thing, your feelings will follow. But if you go by what you feel, you're going to end up in the wrong place. Jesus was not feeling like going to the cross. You can see that by what he did in the garden. But it was God's will... And he had to reject anything that would tempt him to get off. He had to focus on the right thing. Otherwise, his, his actions could follow where he was focusing, which had been catastrophic. He rebuked this thought strongly, very strongly, because it could take him away from what God wanted him to do. We can tell when we're focusing on the wrong thing because our joy is sapped. And if we know, or if our joy is sapped, if we're not rejoicing, then we know we're focusing on the wrong thing. And if Satan can get you focusing on the wrong thing, then he can take your joy and get you discouraged and get you off what God has for you. Just like he was trying to do with Jesus. They'll run the same play. And we need to be very firm, like Jesus was. We can't afford to focus on the wrong thing. We can't afford to pity ourselves, like what, what it said in the one translation. Peter was saying, well, think about yourself. Think about what you're going through. This is hard. You don't, you don't want to go to Jerusalem. Far be it from you to do that. God would never let that happen to you. might sound good, but it's completely opposed to the will of God. And if Satan can get you to, in that mode, looking at the wrong thing, how everything, it's not going well, what, what is the situation, he can stop you. 
He can get you discouraged. He can get you frustrated. He can get you to stop, even though what you are doing may be exactly what you're supposed to do. And so we need to be careful what we focus on. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 1. Our joy is going to follow our focus. We focus on the right thing, joy is going to be there. Focus on the wrong thing, inevitably, it's going to sap our joy, it's going to sap our strength, we're going to be discouraged. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. With endurance the race set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. So where's our focus? Where are we putting our mind? Where are we putting our attention? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at that. Let's read verse 2, the beginning of it. Looking unto Jesus, so we're going to run with endurance the race that's set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. So Jesus, he had this path set before him, but it said because of the joy that was set before him, that's you and me go, being saved, coming into the family of God, that was the goal. Jesus knew he had to go through these things, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So he knew there was going to be something that he had to go through. When Peter was talking to him, he was saying no, but he had a joy in front of him. And it said he despised the shame. Despising the shame meant he put that aside and didn't count it as anything. Yeah, I'm going through that, but we're going on anyway. And he sat down at the right hand of God. In the NIV verse 2, the beginning of it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The, the, the beginning of that, the, the fixing our eyes on Jesus, it means to look away from something else to see distinctly. And you can see that in this verse. That means to look away from something else to see distinctly. So you're looking at Jesus, but that means you're not looking at some other things. In the Amplified, you see this clearly. Looking away, an amplified classic, looking away from all that will distract to Jesus. So looking away from the distractions and looking what? To Jesus. Who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief, 
and is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection, he for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame. So notice the picture. He is looking away from distractions. We're looking away from distractions and looking to Jesus. And it said, Jesus, our example, the author and the finisher of our faith, he looked at the joy set before him and he despised or he ignored the shame. So he, he ignored the other stuff that was going on. Despise means to lightly esteem. He didn't hold it high. In other words, he didn't say, well, this is tough. I got to go through this. I got to go through this physically. I'm going to be separated from God. Oh, he didn't magnify it. He didn't talk about it. He didn't lift it up. He didn't say, oh, yeah, it's going to be tough. When Peter brought it up, he didn't say, I know, but don't talk to me about it now. He didn't waste any time. and He said, get behind me. I'm not, not focusing on it at all. He didn't give it any place. He ignored it. Ignoring's probably, you know, he, he, he saw it and he chose to put it aside. Despising the shame because of the joy that was set before him. In other words, he focused on something in place of the other and we're told to do the same thing as he's our example in the amplified the, the the current amplified it says looking away from all that will distract us that is on purpose and something we have to do with our will in other words there is something pulling it wants to take your head your eyes and move it it's calling for you it's saying look at me you don't think Jesus had this crying at him? He's going to be crucified. He's going to be separated from God. That was calling to him. That was yelling at him, look at me. This is going to be hard. This is going to be tough. You don't know if you can make it. I mean, this was Jesus. Satan was at him full force trying to get him off. And it, it was pulling at him to look. And it's telling, the Bible's telling us here, looking away from all that will distract. So in other words, this is trying to distract you from God's path, and you look away from it on purpose. It's, it can call at you, and you put it aside. You ignore it. You say, no, I'm looking at Jesus. Well, that's an act of your will. That's an act of strength. That is not making light of the distractions. That's saying, whatever they are, I'm not going to give them credence. I'm not going to give them opportunity to take me off. It says, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, or of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal. Jesus came for a purpose. And he was going to finish to accomplish the goal. His life was laid down for a purpose. And if he didn't finish the course, then he didn't accomplish the goal. And your life, 
if you're a Christian, it has a purpose, and it's to glorify God and to do His will for your life. Not any of the distractions. It doesn't matter how much other things pull, if they're not part of God's plan, then they are a distraction, and they are not going to accomplish the goal. And the Bible says, for the joy of accomplishing the goal. Well, how are you going to have joy when there's distractions? You're not focusing on the distractions. You're focusing on the goal. You're focusing on Jesus. In our case, this is telling us what Jesus did to get through. We're told to look to Him to get through. He looked at coming through and seeing all of us in His family, and that brought Him joy. Joy in the middle of getting ready to go to the cross. It's, you know, what we can't even imagine. Far beyond anything we've ever experienced physically or spiritually. He tasted death for us so we wouldn't have to. He became sin. All the sin of the world was put on Him. We have no idea what that is. The Son of God, the spotless Lamb of God, became sin. That's what he was recoiling from. But how did he go past it? For the joy set before him, he looked at the goal. He looked past the distractions. He looked past the shame. It says he despised the shame. He held it lightly. He said, that this is not going to stop the plan. And so he could have joy through it. Hebrews 1, verse 8 says, But to the Son, he says, talking about the angels and then referring to Jesus, says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Talking about Jesus that he was anointed with the oil of gladness more than your companions. In Amplified Classic, it says, Therefore God, even your God, Godhead, has anointed you with the oil of exultant joy and gladness above and beyond your companions. In other words, Jesus had joy. He walked in joy. He was pressed, but he walked through it. And he conquered and he's our example. In the CEB, it said, You love righteousness and hated lawless behavior. That is why God, your guy, has a, God has anointed you more than your companions with the oil of joy. It says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured. Well, we can endure whatever is thrown our way in the plan of God. It's not that God's doing it. It's that this is the plan, and there is some rough patch that maybe we're going to go through and go over. But we look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We choose to look at the right thing, and when we choose to look at the right thing, that is victory. That is accomplishing what God has told us to do. That is coming through to the other side. There is joy there. It's what we look at. You have to do it on purpose. Put aside the distractions. 
Choose not to look. They will cry out your name. Look at me and feel the results of what could happen. Experience it now. Play it in your head now. And we have to look away and say, no, I'm not looking at that because if I look at that, I'm going to start crying. I'm looking at God, Jesus, and I will have joy on purpose. We're not talking about a weak person's gospel. This is a strong man or woman's gospel. You are taking in the middle of pressure. You're taking your eyes off what your flesh wants to look, like, look at, off what your mind is crying at you about, and putting your attention on the Lord Jesus and know that He ran His race. He's my example. He had joy, and I'm coming through with joy. I'm going over. How do you have joy in the middle of a trying situation? It's what you look at. It's where our focus is. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's our superhero. He went through what we can't imagine. And he made the way so that we can walk like him. He experienced what we won't have to experience. But what we do come up against in this earth, we can overcome because he paved the way. It says, verse 6, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He humbled himself and said, God, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going over with you to the point of death. Even the death of the cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. This is the joy that he had set before him. See, he saw the end from the beginning. He still had to go through the trial, but he saw the end. And that's where his focus was. It had to be. It had to stay there. That's why he responded so hard to Peter, because that the statement is trying to pull him off of God's plan. And he is showing we can't mess with that. Our focus can't afford to dwell over on something. You know, uh, you're tempted to somehow just pick up a thought and just turn it over in your mind just a few times. Well, it's easy for that few times to turn into 50 times, 100 times. Pretty soon you're dwelling on it. We don't mess with it. If it's something that is going to take us off the will of God, then we brutally cast it aside. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, or on the earth. Not saying, you're still here, we're still here, we're still walking on the earth, but we're not setting our mind on just what is here. We're setting our mind past what is here. We're setting our mind on what God has told us to do and on His will for our lives, on His plan. See His plan coming to fruition. See His plan coming 
to fullness. So we don't look at the things on the earth because this earth is transient. This earth is changing. This earth is temporary. But the things of God will remain for all time. We know what Jesus did. We read about what Jesus did. We have the results of what he did because he didn't back off. He didn't change. He didn't push back. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and internal weight of glory saying, our light affliction, what we're dealing with now. Paul was saying this. And we know all the stuff he went through. He called it light affliction. He said, which is but for a moment. It's short. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, what we're dealing with now is going to be over shortly. Even if it's decades, even if we live out, you know, if we're here for 120 years, it's still short, but for eternity, it will have an impact. In other words, the, the pain that we might experience is nothing to be compared with how much impact it'll have when we walk according to God's plan. Verse 18 says, while we do not look at the things which are seen... But, we, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. Everybody say temporary. temporary. Say it again, temporary. temporary. One more time, temporary. temporary. What does that mean? It's subject to change. Temporary means it's not going to be there forever. Temporary means you look at it and then it changes. You look at it again, it's dead. You know, I, good night. When we look at the, the weather now with the, the rain and everything, you look at it. One moment it said this percentage, next minute, oh, it's all clear. Until, you know, a little bit later it starts raining. What is that? Temporary. Subject to change. Well, would you, would you base your life on the weather forecast? No. It's subject to change. It's saying we don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Well, how do you look at the things which are not seen? With the eye of faith. You look past what you see, and you look at the victory. You look at what God has said. You say, I'm looking at what he said in his plan, and I'm seeing going over. Now you can have joy. You can have uh, victory in the midst of what looks like defeat, what looks like pain, because you are despising that. You are holding it lightly. You are putting it aside, and you're looking at what is not seen. Because the things that are, seen are, are not seen are eternal. The things that you don't see, those are the things that matter. Not looking at the stuff that is seen, that's temporary, but the things that are not seen. We can have joy even when what's before us looks bad, if we look at the right thing. I'm going to leave you with this. This is a, this is a true story. Not a true story, it's a true account. You look it up. 1982. Uh, college football game between the Wisconsin Badgers and the Michigan State Spartans. It's October 16th, I want to say. 
And so their meeting was almost 80,000 people in the stadium. And people bring radios, you know, then. And they're listening, but they're not listening necessarily to the football game because the football game's in front of them. They're listening to the World Series. And the fourth game of the World Series was going on is between the, the St. Louis Cardinals and the Brewers, Milwaukee Brewers. Cardinals are down, or the Cardinals are up 2-1 to one in the series. It's the fourth game. And the Cardinals are beating the Brewers. So this is in Wisconsin, so these people are Brewers fans. St. Louis is winning, and they're up 5-1. to one. And so, all of a sudden, in the stadium, they start hearing this chant, coop, 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 coop. And the coach, initially when he heard that, the coach of uh, one of the football teams was like, what's that? And then they realize they're cheering for Cecil Cooper, who's on the, Bre the Brewers, and there's a rally going on in the World Series, not in the football game everybody's watching. And the people, the crowd is chanting for the World Series. And so they get a rally going in this inning, and they were down 5-1, to one, get a six-run uh, rally. And so then they end up coming out of the game and winning 7-5. to five. And when they announced the final score in the stadium, the crowd went nuts. And at that time, in the football game, their team was about to be scored on. So the other team was in their territory looking like they were going to get scored on. All of a sudden, the crowd goes nuts because they're not looking at this game. They're listening to the World Series. True story. And it goes nuts because their team just won because they were not looking at what was before them. They were looking at something else, and they were rejoicing anyway. <laughs> and, you know, you could have all this stuff going on in your life. And you're, looking, and you're rejoicing, and somebody look at you like, what are you happy about? Well, I'm not looking at this. I'm looking past this. I'm looking at the thing that's not seen, and that hasn't changed. And I have victory. So I'm rejoicing now. This stuff is going to change. You watch, but we have victory. And you're rejoicing anyway. It's what we look at. What we set our mind to. What do we set our attention to? Makes all the difference in our attitude, in our feelings. Amen?